Thank you, David. Thank you, Jackie. Please sit down. Good morning, men. Uh, thank you for the, uh, the beautiful words, and it really is an honor to, to be with you this morning to help kick off this new year, uh, How God Makes Men. And so you will have uh, a story that you write this year, and so I guess my question will be, you know, what is the story uh, that you're going to write? What do you want it to look like? How would you like to be different at the end of this year? What kind of changes would you like to investigate, explore, perhaps make uh, in your lives? And so uh, that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we kick off this series, How God Makes Men. And Sam Snead, how many of you play golf? Raise your hands if you play golf. A lot of you play golf. Sam Snead, a golfing legend, was out one morning golfing with a young professional, mentoring this young professional. They came to a particular tee. Snead teed up his ball, hit it pretty squarely, went right down the center of the fairway. Young pro notices he's using a particular wood, so the young pro goes over to his bag, pulls out the same wood, goes over, tees up the ball, starts to get ready to hit it. Sneed said, he said, young man, he said, yes, sir. He said, do you see that tree right over there? He said, yes, sir. He said, well, 20 years ago, when I was your age, I would take an iron and go over to the top of that tree and be on the green in one. He said, oh, so he went back over to his bag, pulled out a wood, went over, teed it up, gave it a pretty good whack. Ball hit the top of the tree, got lost in the woods. Sneed said, of course, 20 years ago, that tree is only half as tall as it is right now. So, <laughs> so knowing that things are changing and that we need to make the adjustments. So uh, this kickoff is just kind of to talk about uh, our stories. And so I've titled the talk, Three Phases of Our Spiritual Stories, Three Phases of Our Spiritual Stories. In business, we have this very useful idea. Your system is perfectly designed to produce the results you're getting. And so in business, what we mean is if you're manufacturing automobiles and every third car that comes off the assembly line is missing a front right fender, that your system is perfectly designed to produce that result. Or if you sell real estate and the, and the person in the cube next to you is selling, you know, uh, is closing one out of 10 prospects and uh, you're only closing one out of 20, they have a system that's perfectly designed to be twice as good as your system. Well, it also is true in, in our belief systems, in our, in our value systems, that we each have a belief system that's perfectly designed to produce the results that we're getting. And these show up in our spiritual stories. And so what I want to do is I want to I talk to you. I'm going to share about these three phases. I'm going to share a little of, of, of uh, my story and maybe you can pick up and also uh, just be thinking about the shadow case of your own story and, and 
how your system has been perfectly designed to produce different results at different phases of your own spiritual story. So the first phase is the search for meaning and uh, purpose. So I remember I told you last time when I was here in August, if you were here, uh, I mentioned that I'm a high school dropout. Well, I joined the Army. Uh, actually, my dad made me join the Army. Uh, and uh, he dropped me down in the enlistment office and dropped me off and said, oh, see you later, kid. Uh, uh, and uh, and uh, I remember waking up one morning, you know, like 5 o'clock in the morning. There's this big, burly drill sergeant. Get on a bed, you worthless piece of, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And on this five-mile run, and I'm thinking, yeah, wow, what, wow, what just happened, you know? And, uh, well, I got caught up in the kinds of things that young guys get caught up in. And I had no, I had no rudder, no anchor, no direction. Uh, I remember uh, r driving uh, up to Raleigh, North Carolina. I was at Fort Bragg. Driving up to, uh, I was the 82nd Airborne. Uh, driving up to Fort Bragg, North Carolina every every weekend and, and uh chasing the things that young guys chase. And I remember one Monday morning waking up in a ditch on that little ribbon of a road that went between Fort Bragg and uh, Raleigh. Sun was coming through the windshield. Uh, so I knew I'd missed revelry. I knew there'd be a price to pay for that. But that wasn't what was bothering me that day. You know, Morty, what happened to you? You wanted your life to count. To make a difference, to do something with your life, to make a contribution, to lead a life of significance. But you're just a nobody headed nowhere. And it was really true. I decided that I wanted to make a change in this phase of searching for meaning and purpose. And so I didn't know where to turn. So I decided education. Along the way, I've tried everything. But anyway, at that point, I tried education. So I, I got the GED and enrolled at NC State University. They had a, uh, an extension on the beautiful campus of Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Um, that's a joke. And uh, I uh, remember I was reading one evening, studying for an English exam, reading Shakespeare Hamlet to be specific. And I read this verse, this above all to thine own self be true, and it must follow as the night the day, thou canst not then be false to any man. And I remember thinking, that is the most noble thought that I've, Eureka, that's the most noble thought I've ever heard uttered in my life. I'm going to adopt that as my credo and try to do the right thing by every person I meet every day, and that's how I'll find the secrets of meaning and purpose. And so that day I became a moralist. And, you know, anytime you sign up for a new group, you begin to meet the other members of the new group, you know, whether it's the Rotary Club or the Chamber or this group, whatever, you start to meet the other guys. So when I signed up to be a moralist, I started to meet the other moralists in the world. I quickly realized all moralists basically have one thing in common. None of them have any money. <laughs> so I decided, well, that's, that, that's nice, but there still must be more to life than this. And so I decided to become a materialist. And... Uh, I figured uh, that I would uh, uh, try to be either, uh, I didn't want to stop being a moralist, so I, I was either going to be a material moralist or a moral materialist, one of the two. And uh, this is where I sort of made my first error. I adopted as my life credo, my life philosophy, 
that money will solve my problems and success will make me happy. Money will solve my problems and success will make me happy. And so I, I uh, poured myself into that. But in so doing, I developed, this, uh, it was like, I would set a goal. You, you, you will relate to this. I'd set a goal. You know, and when you set a goal, what do you do? You work real hard. Uh, you know, six months go by. You meet the goal. Uh, euphoria. Two weeks pass. And what happens? Novelty wears off, right? Have to do what? Set another goal. And the new goal has to be what? Bigger, brighter, faster, higher, shinier. You get it. And then you work real hard. Six months go by. Meet the goal. Euphoria. Two weeks pass. Novelty wears off. Has to do. And what I found was after just a, just a very short period of years that met goals had become an unrelated string of hollow victories, increasingly frustrating as more and more had been accomplished. And I hated my life. And as has been said here before on many occasions by many people, we do tend to take out our frustrations of the people that are closest to us, the ones we care about the most. And so <clears throat> somehow I decided all my problems were my wife's fault. And so uh, <laughs> I started saying things to a, uh, a woman that, frankly, a man should never say. I just was picking on her. And one morning, I was ranting and raving. I just, I had, I had caught a disease, uh, let's call it success sickness. It's the disease of always wanting more, but then never being happy when you get it. And so... I mean, failure means to not get what you want, but another way of defining failure would be to say that failure means to get exactly what you want, only to find out that it doesn't really matter. And that's, so that's what's happening to me. And so I, I began uh, picking up Patsy, and I, I was just thought if I could just form the, the, the words on the tip of my tongue, hi, the, this amorphous pain, this, this ambiguous pain that was eating away at me, if I could just, if I could just, expiate it, you know, with, with words that somehow I could expunge this and I could find some peace. And so I was saying things to her, uh, you know, you should say. And so uh, one morning I was doing this and I was, I was literally pacing back and forth. And uh, I looked over at my wife and she had these big tears rolling down her face. And honestly, that wasn't that unusual at that point in her marriage, but there was something different this particular day. And uh, I was transfixed. I mean, I could not look away. And after what seemed like a brief eternity, she asked me this question. She said, Pat, is there anything about me that you like? Well, I felt like I'd been tasered, right? And I uh, wandered off to the office and uh, stared out the window for the rest of the morning and thought to myself, you know, wow, what a Morley, what happened to you? You're still in the ditch. I see. <laughs> You're just a nobody headed nowhere, and it was, it, it was still true. <clears throat> and so I have uh, learned over the course of the years, this one cost me a lot of money, by the way, so, I mean, a lot of pain. I've learned over the years this truth. Uh, suffering compels us to seek the God that success makes us think we don't need. So I was in such pain and suffering from success sickness, 
that it compelled me to seek God. Uh, I don't know if, I don't know how God would have otherwise gotten my attention. I'm, I know that he would, but uh, this is how he did it for me. Uh, and so that led to then a, a correction, a correction or a change. Uh, and it, 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 it caused me to, to move to another phase of my spiritual story. So the search for meaning and purpose, but it will solve my problems, success will make me happy. Eh, not so much. And then I, uh, through suffering, ended up in this second phase. And I think we all uh, go through different, you could call these things different words. But uh, the second phase was a, a, a commitment to the God we want. A commitment to the God we want. So while I uh, did not like the, the way that uh, success made me feel. I did like the things, the nice things. And so the second phase of my uh, journey kind of came about like this. My second phase of my story kind of came about like this. So I was reading the Bible, and uh, I started reading the Bible every day. By the way, I just finished reading the Bible cover to cover 35 years. I, I highly recommend doing something like that in your own life. Even if you start today, you know, who knows? Maybe you'll live 35 more years. I don't know. Uh, um, but I started reading the Bible every day. And so I would read a verse over here on the left-hand page that seemed to be going in the direction that I wanted to go anyway. And I said, oh, I love that verse. And I would memorize it, you know. And I've me I memories, memorization is one of my things. And so I've memorized a lot of verses that way. But then I would read a verse over on the right-hand page that seemed to veer off in a direction I didn't want to go. And i say, huh, I wonder why I put that one in there. <laughs> and so then I would just sort of figuratively, you know, sort of smudge that one, erase it off the page. And that was not a problem at the one or two-year mark in uh, seeking God. But at the five-year mark, uh, the 10-year mark, I was actually starting to be become pretty dangerous because I had created a fifth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Pat. Gospel according to Pat. And um, so <clears throat> I uh, realized that I had committed the second grave error in my development of uh, my spiritual story. And that was a, a, that I was wanting to have the best of both worlds. I was wanting to have the best of what God had to offer, but I also uh, didn't want to give up the best of what the world had to offer as well. I was trying to have my cake and eat it too. I was like the congressman once asked about his attitude toward whiskey. Uh, I think he was a Florida, Florida, Florida guy. He said, uh, well, if you mean that, Poison drink that pollutes the body, desecrates family life, and inflames sinners, then I'm against it. But if you mean the elixir of Christmas cheer, or that shield against a cold winter chill, or that taxable potion that puts needed funds into the pu public coffers to comfort little crippled children, then I'm, then I'm for it. He's <laughs> trying to have it both ways, you see. And... Uh, 
And so, uh, I realized what was going on, but I couldn't do anything about it. I didn't have the power to do anything about it. You know, I don't know if it's an addiction, you know, whatever kind of language form you want to use. I just couldn't stop it on my own. I wanted to, but I couldn't. But I did one day, uh, I prayed, and I asked God to, I said, I, I, in fact, I wrote in the front of my Bible, I want to live the rest of my earthly life for the will of God. And I really meant it, still do. Uh, don't, you know, <laughs> I've discovered this about God. When we make statements to God that we really mean, he will make us mean them. And so I thought uh, by doing that, I'm, I guess I kind of was a little naive. I was thinking, I want to live the rest of my earthly life for the will of God. Oh, lucky God. I mean, wow. What a trophy for God. You know, can you imagine how much he's going to be able to do now that he has me on his side? And, you know, but God had a different uh, approach. He, he, he said, you know, now that I have your attention, uh, there's some things I've been wanting to show you. And so he leveled me right down to the foundation. Uh, I mean, he just pummeled me. Uh, I ended up in a seven-year-long uh, business crisis, a battle for my, my, my business, which uh, ev eventually he relented, but it was like seven years of fear hell. I mean, it was really bad. I thought I was signing up for remodeling and redecorating, you know, add a new wing on the house, you know. But uh, when I heard the construction equipment, you know, I, I opened the blinds and looked out and and there were actually bulldozers, you know, lined up across the, the property line. They just inched forward and just really just leveled me right down the foundation. In the middle of all that, I, uh, I was sitting around one day and I began uh, writing out a, uh, like a psalm every day, like a writing, like a prayer, like a, uh, a, a long, like a psalm, writing them out every day. And um, one morning I was doing that and a thought went through my mind. I think it's the greatest lesson that, that I've ever learned. And so I want to share it with you this morning. It's foundational to this book, How God Makes Men, as well. And uh, so I was sitting around the rubble of all this one morning, and this is the idea that went through my head. See if this doesn't make sense and resonate. This is the idea. There is a God we want, and there is a God who is. They are not the same God. And the turning point of our lives is when we stop seeking the God we want and start seeking the God who is. Does this make sense? It just, I don't know why it was so thick, but it just dawned on me one day, you know, Morley, what were you thinking? Did you really think that any amount of you wanting to reinvent God in your imagination to be the God that you wanted him to be was going to have one iota of impact on his unchanging nature and character? And I realized that I've been trying to change God, but God wanted to change me. And I realized that what I must do, and I, every day I make this prayer, I, I realized that I must come humbly to the foot of the cross and each day make a full, total, complete surrender of my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's the deal. So I pray that prayer every day. And so this was the, this was the, the, the crux of the matter. 
the turning point of our lives is when we stop seeking the God we want. Some of you might want to take a screenshot. When we stop seeking the God we want and start seeking uh, the God who is. So the first phase of uh, my spiritual story and most of ours is the it's a search that we go on for, for meaning and purpose, however you would word that. And then we often make errors in that. And mine was success, sickness, you know, money will solve my problems, success will make me happy. And then, uh, and then we move and we realize that we, uh, we're not going to f- find what we're looking for apart from God. And so we we enter into some kind of a pursuit of, of God, <clears throat> but we're uh, immature. Uh, I mean, uh, I don't know if I got, yeah. So I, I just read that the, the, the observable universe, the observable, the observable universe, as opposed to the, that part of the universe that can't be observed, is 46.5 billion light years across. We, we can see that much. So what that actually means is that, that this Milky Way that we look out into, the vastness of our is like a speck of dust in the observable universe. And then that means that our solar system is a speck of dust on a speck of dust in the universe. And our planet is like a speck of dust on a speck of dust on a speck of dust in the universe. And then there's you. So to think that we're mature enough to understand God and that comes easily, I mean, that's pretty naive. And so anyway, the, uh, eventually we, we, we do come to some kind of a turning point and we say, okay, well, I've, I've tried it my way now. I'll go, okay, I think I'll try it your way. And so we end up in this final phase of spiritual journey. A surrender to the God who is. A surrender uh, to the God who is. So I did this, a full, total, complete surrender of my life to the Lordship of Jesus. Now, nobody does this perfectly, nor do I. Uh, I probably don't even do as well as you do it, but I try every day to, 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 to go in this direction. And so the first error, money will solve my problems, success will make me happy. My second error, I can have the best of both worlds, but now I get into this error and I make another error. I, uh, I, and the third error is, is that I need to deserve this grace. I need to deserve grace. Uh, I'm so embarrassed, you know, by the way, up to this point, I've lived my life I, so filled with, uh, you know, guilt, shame, uh, you know, um, some of it, rightly so, some of it, you know, false. But anyway, that I, I felt like, you know, that I need, I, I knew that I was saved by grace, but I figured that it was up to me to prove that God hadn't made a mistake. And so, uh, so uh, you know, I, I, I felt like I needed to do good deeds, good works to prove to him uh, that I was worthy to make him happy or maybe avoid his wrath. I'm not sure. But anyway, I had to do these good works. And so uh, I, I really, man, I, 
I'm very my my my, my basic core discipline uh, discipline and uh, system in life is a uh, I, I lead a very I'm a very disciplined person. I don't get any credit for that. I, the person I admire is the person who goes to the gym, you know, who doesn't want to go, but I want to go. I mean, you know, I'm very disciplined. So I don't get any credit for all that. But uh, I was sitting around one morning and I, still writing these Psalms out, and I, and I was still in the crisis. And I said, God, I just, I don't understand. Why won't you help me? Why won't you give me some relief? Uh, you, you know how much I'm seeking to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know how I'm trying to be a godly husband. You know how I'm, I, I'm there for all of my children's events. Don't miss, I've never missed any of their, their, their events. You know how I'm trying to be a good steward. You know how I'm honest in business and being a man of integrity. You know how many little old ladies I've helped across the street. You know all these things. Why won't you help me? And just like I'm talking to you, he talked to me. And this is what he said. He said, Pat, nothing you do will ever make you good enough for me to love you. I love you because I made you. And that was the first time that I ever understood grace. So, it looks like I have in my hands a crisp $100 bill. Is there anybody in the room who would like to receive this $100 bill as a gift today? Raise your hands. Well, of course you would. All right. All right. Now how many of you want the $100 bill? You all still want it, right? <laughs> What's wrong with you guys? Ah! <clears throat> okay, now how many of you want the $100 bill? Well, why do you want it? Yeah, of course, it's still $100. And the point of this illustration is, is that it doesn't matter how tattered your life is. Your value to God is undiminished. And he wants to help each of us write our own spiritual stories. He wants to make us into the men that, that we want to be, that he wants us to be. So how does that happen? It happens by engaging with him in all the ways that you've learned about here. But... I also have learned that most of the meaningful change that I've observed in men's lives, and I've been doing this for several decades, most of the meaningful change that I've observed that takes place in men's lives, are you ready for this? It takes place in the context of relationships, doing small groups together, one-on-ones. That's where most meaningful change takes place. So I want to just encourage you to do the Iron Men of God events, 
small groups, communities, be vulnerable with each other, be honest with you. I've been pretty honest with you this morning. Not completely, but pretty honest. I got more, I got more dirt than that, trust me. But uh, open up to each other, share with each other. And that's how real change uh, takes, takes place. Dwight L. Moody was the Billy Graham of the uh, 19th century. And he said this, that he had heard someone say that the world has yet to see what God can do with and for and in and through and by the man who is fully and completely consecrated to him. Moody thought to himself, he said a man. He did not say a great man, a learned man, a rich man, a wise man, an educated man, or a smart man. He just said a man. And it lies within the man himself whether or not he will make that full and complete consecration. I will try my utmost to be that man. That's what I want for myself, and I love you, and, I, and that's what I believe you want for yourselves, and I know that's what God wants for all of us. See you next time.